So if you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll take a look at the first nine verses. Now, over the past three weeks, I've been speaking to you about this idea about growing in Christ. Uh, The first week, we looked at our personal walks with Christ. The second week, we discussed what it means to grow in prayer. Last week, we discussed the idea about growing as a family, your role in your families and how Christ-likeness spreads. And and those were were great, I think, ideas and topics to, to kind of bring forward the gospel. But today, I want, to, I want to talk about kind of the nuts and bolts of life, isn't it? It's money. Um, money is a tangible, real thing. And to be honest with you, it, it, it's kind of attached in different areas of our life. And as Christians, we need to be able to have a freedom with money, understanding that everything is from God, and to be faithful in it, and that we use it for His glory, and that money doesn't have a hold on us. It's a heart issue with God. As Christians, we face many decisions when it comes to money. The Bible speaks about how we're to feel about money, how we earn money, how we spend money, but also how we give money. And so this morning, I'm particularly going to focus in on this idea about giving because this is the area, honestly, that most Christians struggle, isn't it? And so I just want to take a look at it from the perspective of our heart before the Lord when it comes to money. So let's take a look at the text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, it says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty had overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that he had previously made a beginning so he would also complete in you this gracious gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty might become rich. Now, how do we grow in giving? Maybe another way we could put it is, how should we give to the Lord's work? First thing we'll see this morning, give joyfully in spite of your circumstances. Give joyfully in spite of your circumstances. The Lord, our God, He has poured out abundant grace to us. He has been so gracious to us, so much so that now we're free to give joyfully back to Him what He's already given to us. Now, verses 1 and 2 deals with this idea about giving with joy. Let's read the text again. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So the background and setting of 2 Corinthians is that Paul is writing this letter in response 
to the Corinthian church where they had repented because they had, if you will, turned on Paul and had listened to false teachers that were saying things about Paul behind his back. And so Paul writes them a letter. They get that letter. They repent. Now Paul is responding joyfully to their repentance. But within this letter, he's reminding them of a promise that they made. They made a promise that they were going to support the churches in Jerusalem. And the churches in Jerusalem were struggling. They were very poor. They needed help financially in a practical way. And so Paul went around on his missionary journeys, and a number of the churches had come alongside to help in the work. The Macedonian churches were one of them. And Paul's reminding them, hey, guys, you said you were going to help. I'm sending Titus your way to remind you of that. And so now this letter is in, kind of in response to that. It's reminding them of this. And so what Paul begins with, he begins to talk about the Macedonians. And the first thing he talks about is that the Macedonians, they were motivated to give by the grace of God. Look at verse 1 again. He says, My brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. They were motivated not out of obligation, not out of a sense of duty, not somebody putting their arm behind them telling them, you got to give. They were motivated because the grace of God had changed their hearts dramatically. God's saving grace so radically changes a person that he becomes first and everything else follows in line under him. And so for the Macedonians, it was the grace of God that was the motivation for them. Their hearts because God's grace was so full in them, it, it made them generous. They just wanted to give back because, man, they got it. God had just given them so much. This is not something that I'd call that's natural. I would say it's supernatural. This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer that suddenly money is a minor issue because God is everything. They have an eternal perspective. A perspective that, yes, we need it. I mean, we've got to be planned. We, we need to be good stewards, but it's His. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? And so the Macedonians, their heart were just, they were so filled with the Spirit, so wanting to give. They give generously because of the grace of God. And this is the idea of, of you being a Christian and me being a Christian, that when you've been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, when this takes place in the believer you begin to seek the kingdom first above all else. Everything else takes second. And your affections are on things above, not on the things of this earth. Everything is motivated by God's saving grace, His sanctifying grace, this changing grace that grabs hold of our heart. Generous giving is, is part of the result of being saved in Christ. It's part of the change that takes place. It's, it's something that God begins to move by His Spirit on our hearts, and we just say, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? And because of this grace, they even gave in difficult circumstances. Look at verse 2. It says that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty, it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. <clears throat> that word great is the word mega. It means huge, large. They had a lot of affliction. That word affliction is the Greek word dokiomai, and it means a test. These, they were having a great, large test. Now, understand what was happening. Rome had come into the areas of Macedonia, and they laid on heavy taxes. 
And so these heavy taxes, it caused poverty to strike them. But not only that, because of their faith in Christ, they were also being persecuted. It was a double hit. But even with all this happening, they had no excuses. They wanted to give. And so they had great affliction. They had great poverty. But yet they're saying, you know what? I just can't wait to give to the word of the Lord. The idea here is they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about Christ and others. Their focus is upward and outward it isn't on themselves. And they, if you think about what, what's going on here, they wanted to give to people they had never met. They never met those saints in Jerusalem. They had only heard from Paul that these saints were hurting, but their hearts were so moved by the Holy Spirit, their commitment to Christ was so solid that even though they were destitute and poor, they gave, and they gave freely of their own will. And not only did they give generously, but look, they gave with joy, and not just a little joy, abundance of joy. This is like the kind of joy that just blows the roof off. They were so excited to give. They couldn't believe that God had graced them, blessed them so much that they got to be a part of this work of God, that they could be involved in God's work, helping those that needed help. They had the heart of Christ, and they were just full of joy. Overabundance means over-the-top, unbelievable amount of joy. And so the, the question that I kept coming up with, ha have you matured in your walk to the point where you can give with joy? Or do you find that giving to you just feels kind of like an obligation and a duty? I mean, right now before the Lord, do you love to give? Do you understand that, that this is a time of worship when we gave to the Lord, that, that this is a, a wonderful time to express our heart before Him? Or does it feel like, blah, duty? If you're struggling in this area, maybe money has a hold on you in some way. And maybe you have an affection for it. Do you have an affection for money? This is what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 about the affection for money. He says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it, they've wandered away from the faith, and they pierce themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Watch your heart with this affection or this love for money because it will squash that idea of being joyful and giving to the Lord. And maybe some of you, maybe it's security. You've fixed your hope, not on Christ, not on God, but you've fixed your hope on money. This is what Paul has to say about that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy and instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. The Macedonian church, they were generous. They were ready to share, even though they were struggling in poverty, even though they were being persecuted for their faith. In all of that, they did it with joy. They did it with joy. And what happens, I think, for the Christian, unfortunately, because we're in this world and it's a real deal and we need money, Sometimes our hearts get split, don't they? It's like we, we feel like we need it and we want it, but at the same time we know we need to honor the Lord, and there's this tearing it almost feels like. But be careful. Money can become an idol. 
And this is what Jesus said about that in Matthew 6, 24. He says, you cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve God and money. That's called a divided allegiance. And so when it comes to giving, what God wants is your heart. He wants it to be open and free, that you can be free from this, this lock, this tie, this hook that money can get on your heart. And the Macedonians, what they were seeking, they were seeking God's glory first. They wanted Him so glorified that they were freely giving, even in their poverty. Now, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 9. He says that those who want to get rich, they fall into all kinds of temptations and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. When your heart is given over to, to things of this world, careful. It can be a temptation. It can be a snare that will draw you away from the love of Christ. Now, these believers in Macedonia, they weren't seeking riches. They were giving riches. And they had abundance of joy in giving it. I read one writer. He said that they made a joy of robbing themselves. They were willing to give all for the sake of Christ. And their circumstances, it didn't determine their giving. In other words, that even though they were struggling, and I've heard many people say, well, I would give if. They never said that. They said, I cannot wait to give because God has given so much to me. And these believers in Macedonia, they, they understood that they could not afford not to give. Look at verse 2 again. It says, in their deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They, lay, they live by faith, not by sight. They really, really trusted the Lord. Is there anything that is hindering you this morning in this area of giving? Is there something in this area of riches and wealth and monetary stuff that has a hold on your heart? Is it a love for money? Is it a security in that and not Christ? Is it a trust issue that you somehow don't trust that God will be faithful? You know, I read a story, true story, in the Second World War, the Allies and their attempts to rebuild Europe, they had to take the responsibility of dealing with a number of orphan children. And so they built some camps to house them and care and feed for them. And as the children were found, they were brought to these camps and they received the finest of care. They had beds to sleep in. They had three square meals a day. They had everything they needed. But there was one camp in particular in England where they were very disturbed because the children weren't sleeping at night. And they received the best of care. They were given three meals a day. They were provided all that they needed. They were kept clean. They had adequate places to sleep. But the kids couldn't sleep. And so to figure out what was wrong, they decided to put together a little task force and talk to these children. Why weren't they sleeping? You know what they discovered? They were afraid they would have no food the next day. They'd been living on the streets for so long that they had this fear. So to solve that problem, what they did is they had a woman walk down the aisles with a basket full of little loaves of bread that had fit into a little child's hand. And right before the children would go to sleep, they'd take this little loaf of bread and they'd put it in that child's hand. And so the last thing that this child knew right before they went to sleep is that I have food for tomorrow. And within a few days, these children were sleeping all the way through the night. It was a trust issue. They weren't trusting that they would have something tomorrow. And sometimes I think, church, that oftentimes we don't trust God enough that He will provide for our needs tomorrow. But guys, we have a promise from God. Listen to this promise. 
Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you trust him enough to understand that he has that little loaf of bread that you need and it's already there for you? Trust him. That's the first thing. Give joyfully in spite of your circumstances. Second thing, give sacrificially to honor God's will. Give sacrificially to honor God's will. It is God's will that we are willing to sacrifice anything that He lays before us because He has given everything to us. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God, by the will of God. Now, most people have some kind of ability to give to the Lord's work. And we've already seen that giving, it's a matter of the heart. It's, it's, it's where is our heart in this relationship to giving to God? And as I thought about this, I began to think, well, Christians, since we're transformed by His grace, since we understand the goodness of God to us, I mean, we should be the ones more than anybody where we're just giving freely to God's work. And that's exactly what you see here with the Macedonian church. I mean, their poverty was a fact. These guys were suffering. But literally, their giving, it overflowed. They didn't have many possessions, but what they have, it was open to God. It wasn't like this before God. It was like this before God. And they had a single purpose, to put God and others first. And they gave beyond what most people would say is prudent. They gave beyond what most people say you should ever give. They are the poster child of giving here in the New Testament. And so Paul is holding them up as an example. And so what I see here are there's a number of things, practical things that we can learn by the way that they gave. And first is their giving was proportionate. It was proportionate. They didn't give what they didn't have. They gave from what they had. Now, they didn't have a lot, but they were willing to give. So it's proportionate to what they have. God does not expect you to go into debt to give, but He does expect you to have a heart willing to give from what you have. He doesn't want you charging things on your credit card and say, well, this is yours, God, and we're going to all just No, whatever God has provided for you to have within that range, pray and see what the Lord will do. Now, God has set up a model in the Old Testament for giving. I want to walk that through and then talk about the differences with the New Testament model. In the Old Testament, the Jew was required by Levitical law to pay three tithes. And each, there, two of them were given annually, one was given triannually. The first tithe, it supported the Levites in the temple and the worship and sacrifices unto God. The first one was for the worship services. The second tithe given annually was for the use of the religious festivals and great feasts. So the first two were given in the area of worship and also supporting the priests in, in the act of worship. The third tithe, it was given every three years, and it was for the poor of the land. It was kind of a welfare system that uh, Israel had established. And so the Jewish economy, tithing, uh, was basically about 23% of their income, 23% of what they brought in. The first two based on kind of the religious system and the last one to kind of help the people and the poor. And so 
in a sense, though, it was mandatory. It was a command in Scripture. Now, the New Testament, as hard as I looked, I couldn't find anything that was mandatory. Um, it's free will. It's not under the law. Now, that was interesting to me because I always kind of felt that giving, and particularly the tithe, was a mandatory law. It's not a law. It's supposed to be given from the heart. So I couldn't find anything that said it's a tenth or a 15%. But the principles laid out here in 2 Corinthians, it helps us to see the right heart attitude that the Macedonians had. The first thing that we see with the Macedonians is that their, their giving was generous. Not only was it proportionate, but it was generous. It says here that they gave beyond their ability, beyond their ability. Basically, it's saying that it cost them to give. It, um, they were generous towards God, and they were generous towards other. And the idea I want to I kind of bring here is, how generous are you? How generous are you towards God and others? Understand there are some principles in the New Testament that say when we're generous, God is generous. I want to share one that Jesus shared. In Luke 6, 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you, and they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you in return. What you have here is a picture of a person in the Middle East, and they would go into the market to buy grain, and they'd have this sack, and you'd have the person that's filling that grain, they would pour it in, they would shake it, they would stamp it down, and they'd pour it again to the point where it overflowed. The idea here is when we give generously, God packs it in to the overflow. You cannot outgive God is the idea. Our God is generous. That's the point. And not only were these people in Macedonia generous, they were also strategic. Strategic. In the New Testament, it calls us to have a plan for giving that we think through, these are all the resources that God has given me. And Lord, help me to be strategic with the money that you've given me and help me to honor you in the way that I use this money. Not legalistically, but gladly, with joy. A good verse for this is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says that each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not like, okay... Here it is, God. No, it's gladly, cheerfully, Lord, thank you. I'm giving back to you. That's the idea. And they purposed in their heart, these Macedonians, they purposed in their heart to give abundantly. Even though they didn't have a lot, what they had left, they said, you know what? This is unto God and praise God that we give the opportunity to do that. Now, most people that I've talked to struggle with the idea of the 10% tithe, don't they? This concept of I have to give 10%. I mean, wow, 10%? of what I make. And I'm telling you, from my perspective, when I've looked all over the whole of the New Testament and the Old Testament, I think it's a starting point for the Christian. I think it's the very beginning, very beginning point, but it's not based on the Levitical law. It's based on a heart that's just open to God. I mean, to the Jews, in the areas of worship, they were giving 20% by mandate. And I think the 10% idea of a tithe, which means 10%, I think it's a heart issue before God saying, God, I'm, I'm giving you that first fruit, that first part of my life. Now, the Lord did speak on tithing in one area, and I want to share that with you. This is Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, 
and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the other. So what Jesus is saying right here is that you Pharisees should be faithful in giving your tithe. That's what godly people do. But in addition, as a weightier matter, don't neglect the other. Make sure that you have justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and how much more for us. As believers in Christ who's given us himself, shouldn't we have both is the concept. Do you see the, the connection, how, how money and, and, and serving the Lord, they go directly together because money is so tied to our heart, isn't it? And if you don't want to have money have a grip on your heart, then your heart before God and money before God is like this. Since we are God's children, I think the minimum for us to even begin to consider is that first tithe and just say, Lord, this is yours, and I want to honor you with it. So it's proportionate, it's generous, it's strategic, but also, guys, it's an expression of our worship, an expression of our worship. The idea is that, that when we give to the Lord, it's the first thing we do. Now, there's an Old Testament concept that that, that, that is first, and and in Exodus 23, 19, it says, you shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. And that concept there is what happened is, is when somebody would have a crop, they would take the very best of the first of the crop, and that was God's. And they would bring it to God because God had blessed them to have that crop. The, the idea here is that God is first. He is first in your life. And so here's the concept for us today. Don't sit down and do your bills and kind of throw God in the mix of your bills and work it all out, and at the end, you see whether or not you can pay God. God is first. You say, Lord, thank you for providing for me. Here is giving back to you in worship from my heart because you've given this to me. Now, Lord, thank you, and you do your bills. That's the concept that's going on here. Also, when you give in worship, don't toot a horn. Don't let everybody know, look what I'm doing, man. I'm giving a lot. Now, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 2 through 4. He says, when you give, do not sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do so that they can be honored by men. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving is seen in secret and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. By the way, Jesus right there is speaking matter-of-factly that people are giving, right? This is part of the New Testament but it's from the heart, it's not law. Is your heart ready? Are you free from the love of money? Does it have a hold on you? Are you not trusting the Lord? Is your security in things and not Him? These are the areas that God is really pressing, was pressing on me while I was doing this, and I'm wondering if He's pressing on you. Does He have your heart in this area? Because the Macedonians, man, they just gave gladly with joy, and they understood the principle of treasures in heaven. If, if you will, sending it ahead. That, you know, don't, don't love the things of this earth so much where moth, rust, destroy, but the things of heaven, it's sent ahead. And, and somehow, I'm not sure I even understand it completely yet, but there is an economy in heaven. And everything you do for Christ's sake with an open heart, it's somehow added up and tallied there. And when we get there, there'll be some kind of rewards for us in heaven. But if you don't want to give to the Lord's work, if you have what I call a stingy heart and, you know, kind of the miserly thing, you know, that kind of thing, don't expect God to be abundantly generous towards you. This is how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, 
Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, I'm not going down the road of the word faith guys that say if you get a hundred bucks, you get a thousand bucks from God. Guys, don't even go there. What it means is that God is generous. And when he sees your heart generous towards him, he'll be so much more generous towards you. And if you remember, who did Jesus commend in the temple? He, remember, he, can, he commended the woman, the, the widow who gave two mites. Do you remember that story? Let me read for you. He says, a poor widow came and put two small copper coins which amounted to a cent, and calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those contributors to the treasury, for they put in out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all she owned. That's exactly what the Macedonians did. They had the openness of heart to give. And it says here in verses three and four, they, they weren't coerced. It says they gave out of their own accord. That means they chose to do this and it says that they literally begged to do it. I was thinking, anybody here beg to give? I never have. But these guys are like, please, please, let us be a part of this giving. This overabundance joy, the seeing the reality that God had given them so much. And all of this they saw was honoring God's will. Look at verse 5. It says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The idea here is before the Macedonians gave their money, their hearts were already given over. God already had all of them. They were totally his. And so, if you will, the giving was just kind of the icing on the cake. It was just an expression as part of something that was already given over. You know, I read something from D. James Kennedy. He tells a story of a man who came to Peter Marshall. He's the formal chaplain of the United States Senate. And this man had a concern about tithing. He said, I have a problem. I've been tithing for some time, and it wasn't too bad when I was making $20,000 a year. I mean, I could, I could afford to give $2,000, but you see, now I'm making $500,000 a year, and there's just no way that I can afford to give $50,000 a year. And Dr. Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma, but he gave no advice. He simply said, yes, sir, I see that you do have a problem, and I think we ought to pray about it. Is that all right? And the man said, yes. And and so Dr. Marshall, he bowed his head and he prayed with a boldness and authority. And this is what he said. He said, dear Lord, this man has a problem. And I pray that you would help him. Lord, would you reduce his salary back to the place where he can again afford to give? <laughs> Isn't that the question? Can you afford not to give? Yeah, God's faithful. Give joyfully in spite of your circumstances. Give sacrificially to honor God's will. Third one, give enthusiastically as evidence of your love. Enthusiastically as evidence of your love. The way that we, we give, it demonstrates kind of where our heart's at in terms of our affection for Christ. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love we inspire in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So what Paul's doing here, he's calling the Corinthians to own up to what they pledged. 
they had made a vow that they would give. And Paul had already told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, this. He said, on the first day of every week, each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. By the way, this is one of the verses, the reason that, that we take offerings on a Sunday, that the first day of the week is a Sunday. And he's telling them, hey, when you're in church and you're giving, make sure you set aside a portion for these guys. Now, it's, I think it's important to note that they made a vow before the Lord. And if you make a promise to God, I would encourage you, keep your promise to God. Now, I, I want to share a little bit about this idea about vows. Um, what Paul is doing, he's coming alongside them to try to help them. But I personally, and in the Bible, it says it's better not to make a vow. Um, but I've heard many people do it. It's kind of this kind of scenario, oh God, I am so struggling. And if you'll just help me through this financial issue, I will tie the rest of my life to you. I'm going to be so committed, you know, that kind of thing. And then what happens? God comes through, everything kind of mellows out. And what do they do? They forget that they had a vow before God. And then oftentimes I... I I wonder why they think, why aren't things going the way they should be going, and why aren't things going really well? Oftentimes, I wonder if it's just this principle right here. They made a promise, and they didn't keep it to God. This is what Jesus says about vows. Matthew 5, 33 to 34 says, again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or earth, for it is its footstool. Better not to make a vow. The problem is these guys did. They made a pledge to do it, and now what's happening, he's sending Titus there. He's saying, okay, you made a vow. I'm here to collect. I gave you forewarning. I sent you a letter. Put it aside every week. And he's there to help them keep their word. Now, God doesn't want them to just give the money begrudgingly. He wants them to give enthusiastically. That's the point. He wants their heart to be engaged. And so if you look at verse 7, it says, just as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, and in love that we inspired in you, that you abound in this gracious work. Now, they, they had a lot of virtues. They had faith. Utterance is preaching, teaching. They had knowledge. Earnestness, I think, is like a spiritual passion. They had all those things. He says, in the same measure, let your, let your giving be like that. He says, you got all that. It's other stuff. Now, let's just have the giving kind of just line up with everything else. Do that. And the giving is the evidence of their love. Now, if somebody gives in the church, that doesn't mean that they love God. But I can tell you that those who love God want to give. So there's the principle. It doesn't necessarily mean if somebody gives, okay, they've really got a great love for God. But I can tell you, those that love God, there's a desire in them to be a part of God's work. And this here, he's saying, it's an, it's an evidence of their love. It was motivated, if you will, by love. It didn't have to be motivated by a law or a command. As a matter of fact, he says right there in verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving the earnestness of other sincerity of your love also. The other sincerity with the Macedonians, they proved their love for God by the, just the overabundance. And he's saying, and it's going to be the same thing for you as, as you give freely from your heart. It just is an expression of what God has done in your life. The Macedonians' abundant earnestness to give their property was proof of their love. And Paul wants the Corinthians right here to do the same thing. Basically, you understand that love is not just a feeling, it's an action. And so he sent Titus there to say, hey guys, I'm going to call you to action right here. When Karen and I were dating, we've been married 30 years, so that was a long time ago. Um, we were both starving students. 
I was living down in San Diego going to college, and Karen was up in Riverside going to college. And so once a month, every six weeks, I'd try to save up enough money to have gas and enough to take her out on a date somewhere. And usually it was like a real simple meal or a movie or whatever. And so we would do that. I'd go drive to Riverside, take her out on a date. And then when I would drop her off at her dorm, I'd always try to sneak a little bit of money to her because I knew she was always starving. And so if I had like five bucks left or 10 bucks left, I might put it under the mat in front of her dorm or, or do some way to try to sneak her that cash. And oftentimes, she was doing the same thing to me. So sometimes when I'd get home, I'd find like a $5 bill in the ashtray or in my visor or that kind of thing. I mean, why did we do that? Because it was an expression. It was an expression of our commitment to one another that we loved each other in a very simple way. I mean, how much more God who's given us everything, should that just be kind of a natural expression of our love for Him? So there's three things. Joyfully give in spite of your circumstances. Sacrificially give to honor God's will. And enthusiastically as an evidence of your love. And here's the final one. Give willingly because Jesus gave Himself for you. Give willingly because Jesus gave Himself for you. Our Lord gave everything for you. And this should motivate us and help us understand that giving back to Him is just a little thing. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Though He was rich for your sake, He became poor. Now, in what ways was Jesus rich? In what ways is Jesus rich? Well, he's God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is God. And so with that, that means he owns everything along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is what theologian Charles Hodge said about Jesus. Just listen. He says, all divine names and titles are applied to him. He is called God, the mighty God, the great God, God over all, Jehovah. He is Lord of Lord, kings of kings. All divine attributes are ascribed to him. He is declared to be omnipresent. That means everywhere. Omniscient, he knows all. He's almighty. He's immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is set forth as the creator and ruler of the universe. All things were created for him and by him. And in all things they consist... He is the object of worship to all intelligent creatures, and all the angels are commanded to prostrate themselves before Him. And He is the object of all reverence, love, faith, and devotion. Jesus is truly rich in every area, beyond what we could even imagine or think. His possessions and His position as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so much more, but He willingly gave that why. He became poor for your sake, for my sake. And the tense of the verb when you read that, what it basically is saying is talking about the incarnation. It's talking about that our Lord came out of heaven and He put on human flesh. Why? So that you and I can live eternally with Him. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself and he took on the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do it? Why did he become poor? Verse 9, 
so that through his poverty, you might become rich. In Christ, you become spiritually alive, spiritually rich. Before Christ, you were destitute, without God. Romans 1 says that you were a hater of God. Romans 3 says you were so bad, who can know it? But Christ willingly came for you, even though you and I, we do not deserve it. And so in Him, suddenly, we are so rich. We have everything that we need in Him. We have beyond what we need. And here's the point. Since this is true, how can we willingly refuse to give to the Lord's work? If He was willing to give so much more, what is our hesitation to say, Lord, I'm not going to give to you since He gave us so much? And, and in the closing thought, the Macedonians, they, they were willing to give extravagantly, generously, abundantly with joy. And I pray that this could be said of this church right here. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Well, Father, I thank you for the grace that you show us. And help us, Lord, just to be faithful and trusting and have our eyes set on heaven and not on the things of this world. And now, Lord, we give you all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me.